We're going to be reading the first few verses of Mark tonight. Before we do that, I want to give just a little bit of an introduction to this series. As I've said, we're beginning a new sermon series on the Gospel of Mark. And John's two big emphases, the two big things he talks about the most, are Jesus and his followers. The Gospel of Mark wants to pose two big questions to us and try to help us answer them. The first question is, who is Jesus? And the second question is, who will Jesus' followers be? As we go through the Gospel of Mark, one question that keeps popping up is, who is this Jesus, really? Who is this Jesus? And Mark wants us to come to see that this Jesus is the Son of God, the true King. And another question that should keep coming up is, who will follow Jesus? Who will really be Jesus' disciples? Who's going to be an insider? Who's going to be an outsider? Who's going to be Jesus' friend? Who's going to be his enemy? Who is Jesus? And really, who are we going to be? The Gospel of Mark shows us that Jesus is the king, and it invites us to be his followers. And so our sermon series is going to be Follow the King. With that said, let's read the first eight verses of Mark chapter 1. This is the good news of God given to us by his grace and his power. Let's read. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This text has three main movements that we'll talk through tonight. Expectation, repentance, and promise. Expectation, repentance, and promise. And we'll begin with expectation. So I really like to bike, and I do it as much as I can. But as I've gotten into biking the last few weeks, I've noticed my bike has a few squeaks and shimmies. Nothing huge, it just needed some cleaning and some adjustments. So a couple weeks ago, I ordered some stuff to do a tune-up on my bike. But we were out of town last weekend, so we put a hold on our mail. And somehow the package with my bike stuff, the stuff that I really wanted, got stuck. It had a guaranteed delivery date, but somehow it got mixed in with the rest of our mail. So the guaranteed delivery date passed and it didn't come, and it didn't come. I kept checking the tracking details, and it just told me delayed, 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 and then one day it told me delivered, and then an hour later it said again, delayed. Amazon's app really let me down that day, let me tell you. So frustrating. The stuff that I just wanted, and it just didn't come. Most of us have had times in life like that, that you order a package or someone sends you something and you just, you just want it to get there. You just want it to come and it just doesn't come. 
most of us, especially when we, were, when we were younger, had that every single year with Christmas that the presents show up and they're under the tree or wherever your family keeps them. And you want that present so badly, but it's not Christmas yet. And Christmas just isn't coming. And so we live with that sense of unmet expectation, of unfulfilled longing. We have that with packages in the mail. And we also have that with a lot of other things in our lives, with spouses, with children, with jobs, with health, with all kinds of things. The background to these first few verses of Mark, I think, is a sense of unfulfilled expectation, a sense of long-awaited hope, a sense of waiting for things somehow to finally come together. In verses 2 and 3, Mark actually pulls together, he says it's from Isaiah, but he actually pulls together quotations from several different Bible books. One of those texts, Malachi 3, really points to the hope that God's messenger, that someone will come from God and do away with evil and make everything right. And then Isaiah 40, the main passage that Mark quotes, is all about comfort for God's people. Comfort Comfort my people, Isaiah 40 tells us. God's messenger will come and somehow make things right and comfort God's people. So those quotes from the Old Testament promise that God's messenger will come and he will do away with evil and he'll come and he'll bring us comfort. Those were God's promises to his people in the Old Testament. But for years, decades, centuries, they had gone unfulfilled. Now, when I first read through this first section of Mark here, I thought we should probably read that sense of unfulfilled expectation against the Jewish people's experience. These people who for centuries had looked forward to God's coming Messiah, who'd been trained and shaped by the Old Testament to look to the coming of God's promised one. But as it turns out, Mark actually wrote not to Jewish people not to the insiders of the faith, not to people who'd been conditioned for centuries to be looking toward this one who would come from God. But Mark wrote to Gentiles. We can tell that because he translates a number of words in his gospel that Jewish people would have known, and he describes Jewish customs in a way you would never need to describe to someone who is actually part of that culture. So Mark is actually writing to Gentiles, to outsiders, to people who maybe didn't have a whole lot of experience of the Old Testament or of God's work over the years. So what Mark is doing here, I think, is tapping not exactly into the Old Testament longings that the Jewish people had been trained in for centuries, but into the deeper human longing for something more. People everywhere have this sense that life isn't right They have this expectation that things should be better. They have this hope of something or someone more. Of someone who will come and finally get rid of all the junk in this world. Of someone who will come and finally make things right. So Mark is tapping into that unmet expectation. And I think he brings the Old Testament in to show how God has been at work over the centuries preparing the way. God has been at work the whole time to meet this expectation that people have deep, deep down. And Mark wants his audience to see that Jesus, Jesus is God's answer to that expectation. Jesus is the one who fits the world's desire for someone 
more for someone to come and make things right. Now, in one way, we're in a different place with this today. We've had these stories about Jesus for a couple thousand years. We can read through the book. We can see how Jesus fulfilled the promises of the Old Testament. That promised one has come. But in many ways, we're still in a place of unmet hopes and unfulfilled expectations. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, most people have all kinds of unresolved fears, heartaches, wonderings, doubts, hopes, longings, expectations. We all have these things in our lives that call out for an answer. I think we all live with the sense somehow that we want something more. And the beginning of Mark points us to that something more. Mark wants us again to come to Jesus with that expectancy, with that hope. Here in Jesus is the answer to the deepest questions of our hearts. Here in the Gospel of Mark, we find Jesus, the Son of God, who delivers us from our sin. And maybe we've forgotten that. Maybe following Jesus has become sort of humdrum, sort of routine just something we do. Or maybe we're looking somewhere else. Maybe we're looking to someone or something else to address the deepest longings of our heart. And the Gospel of Mark here invites us to be refreshed in our expectation. It invites us again to look to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This book invites us tonight to be refreshed to be renewed, to be reminded that Jesus is the one that we all really, really need and the one that we really, really want, even if we don't always realize it. Whether we've just barely begun on this faith journey or whether we're a well-seasoned traveler, Mark invites us again to look to Jesus with expectation and hope. But as we do that, there's a roadblock. Yes, Jesus is the answer to our expectations. Yes, Jesus meets our deepest longings. But in some sense, to get to Jesus, we need to travel the road of repentance. And that's our second big point for tonight, repentance. So alarm clocks and college students, a dangerous combination. Somehow all of my roommates and I in college were just not morning people, just not So the usual routine was for someone's alarm to go off, and then this arm of judgment would come down and strike the thing with fury until it stopped sounding. One of my roommates actually got this whole almost Olympic swim routine that he had this stroke that he could swing, smash the alarm clock, get back underneath the covers, and go back to sleep without waking up. It was almost worth waking up just to watch him make that move. But one year, we had a guy who never woke up. To his alarm clock. He had a crazy sleep schedule. He'd go to bed at 2 and set his alarm for 5 and think he'd get up. And there were four of us in the room, and his alarm clock would go off at 5, and he wouldn't wake up. And it would go and go and go and go and go. And the rest of us were sitting there saying, make the bad sound. Go away. It's 5. So we complained, and he moved it from across the room into his bed. And the alarm clock still didn't wake him up. 
it would still go and go and go. So one day, the other three of us came up with this plan, and we put our broom in my bed. And I don't remember if we actually did this or if we just dreamed it up on a bad day. But we had this plan that when his, his uh, alarm clock went off in the bottom bunk, I'd grab the broom, and I'd just start poking and prodding him. Wake up! Wake up, you sleeper! Wake up, you sinner! Repent! Ah, it was a great plan. I can't remember if we actually did it or not, but it felt good to talk about it. Wake up! When John the Baptist comes in verse 4, his call for repentance is a poking and a prodding at a sinful people. This has gone past the point of an alarm clock. He's come to people who've had many, many, many prophets come, and yet they're still slumbering. So John is poking and prodding at them. He's shining a flashlight in their eyes and saying, wake up. He's throwing cold water on their faces and telling them, Get with the program. These people that were going out to John, they had expected a messenger from God, but they probably weren't expecting quite the message that John brought. From what we can tell, some of the Jewish people of the time thought that Abraham's faith had somehow created this vast warehouse or storehouse of merit. And so if you were descended from Abraham, you didn't actually need to do all that much yourself. You just needed to draw on Abraham's merit from that vast storehouse. And others seem to think that because God had given the law, because through Moses at Mount Sinai, he had given the law to these people, that if you belonged to the Jewish people, you were fine. You didn't have to actually keep the law. What mattered is that it had been given to your people. And John comes and he pokes and he prods at these people. It's not enough to belong to the nation of Abraham. It's not enough to have been given God's law. What John comes and calls for is personal and corporate repentance. What John calls for is for these people to turn to the Lord. Repentance basically means to turn. What John calls for is for these people to turn to the Lord and to seek and find forgiveness for their sins. And John's message went out both to the insiders and the outsiders. It went out to the people who'd given up on religion, and it it went out to the religious people who'd gotten the message wrong. John told everyone, you need to confess, you need to repent. And that doesn't always sound like an attractive message to us, but it resonated It resonated so much that Mark tells us that the whole countryside and all the people of Jerusalem, and that's probably a little bit of hyperbole, but his point is that people are streaming and running out to the desert to repent. To repent and be baptized and seek forgiveness of sin. John's poking and prodding was getting the people to at least stir a little bit from their slumbers. And we still need that poking and prodding today. We still need to hear the message of repentance. It's easy for us to look out at the world, read the news, and hear about all the brokenness out there and recognize that things are wrong in the world. But it's much harder for us to look inside and realize that things are wrong in here too. We need the spiritual flashlight of the Bible to shine on us. 
We need some poking and prodding to confess and to seek forgiveness. Now, I have to admit that as I wrote the sermon this week, I had the thought, and maybe you're having it right now, we, we don't need to get too hung up on this point, right? We don't need to worry about this too much. And there's a way that that's true, and there's a way that that's false. We don't need to repent in exactly the same way that John's original audience did. We have different hang-ups. We're on the other side of Jesus coming. We aren't in Mark 1 anymore, where the people were looking forward to Jesus coming. We're past Mark 16. Jesus has risen. We found forgiveness in him. And we need to hear this. Jesus has forgiven us. So in that sense, we don't exactly need to hear the call in the same way that John's first hearers did, but we still need to hear this call to repentance. We are constantly, constantly tempted to reduce the Christian message to fit our own preferences. We are constantly tempted to change God's will around so that it fits with whatever we really want ourselves. And we fall prey to those temptations more often than we'd like to admit, and I think even more often than we even recognize. So we still need to hear this call to repentance, personally, corporately, continually. We need to hear this call to turn again to the Lord and to seek His mercy and grace. It is good for us. It's a good thing for us to do, and it is also a healthy thing for us to confess our sins and to find that we've been forgiven. Repentance is a route to freedom. And when we go to the Lord and we ask Him to forgive us because of the work of Christ, we do find forgiveness. That's the reality of God's promises to us in Christ. And that brings us to our third point for tonight, promise promise. In Christ, God has promised to save us. John's message in verses 7 and 8 is basically that God's promised one will come. And this promised one will bring God's power to bear on the life of his people. Everything that John did was provisional and preparatory. His baptism served to prepare people for what was coming next. His preaching was all about looking toward the coming Lord. In one way, we can read these first eight verses or so of Mark as a summary of the Old Testament. God is at work preparing the way for the king to come. God's people are called to repent and seek forgiveness. God's people are called to look toward the one God has promised. That's the Old Testament with a few things left out, but that's the Old Testament in two or three sentences there. Expectation that God's promised one will come. As we come to the end of these first few verses, Mark wants us to be anticipating Jesus. He wants us to be thinking that this expectation and repentance is all about pointing us to Jesus. There's something that we do, it's a little bit of a mind game that we play when we read a favorite book over again, or we watch a favorite movie, or even we get together with family and we hear one of those family stories that Uncle Bob tells, that he tells every time we get together, and it's a good story, but we know those stories, right? Part of the reason they're our favorites is that they're good stories, but every time we read or watch or hear these stories, we kind of step into them. 
We put ourselves at the beginning and we almost trick ourselves into thinking we don't know the ending. We may know things, everything turns out all right, but on the way through, we let ourselves feel the drama, the turbulence, the questions, the troubles of this story as we go through. We put ourselves into the story. And in one way, because we know the whole story, every event within the story has a different meaning. But in another way, as we walk through the story over and over again, at least if it's a good story and has some depth to it, it becomes deeper and deeper for us because we do this mind game, because we let ourselves experience the story on the way through. In one way, we put ourselves in the story. In another way, we step back and we see the whole thing. We know the whole thing. We know what Uncle Bob's going to say. We know what the next scene's going to be. We know what the next chapter's going to be. That's something we can do with the Gospel of Mark, too. In one way, we know how the whole story goes. There probably are not going to be a whole lot of surprises. We know Jesus comes. Jesus comes as the promised king, the son of God. He teaches. He suffers. He dies. He rises again. He's the savior of God's people. We know that's how the story goes. But as we read each part of the story, we're invited again to participate, to experience what is going on in that particular story and what it has to teach us about Jesus. And in this particular text, Mark invites us again to enter into the expectation that someone will come and make things right. Mark invites us again to realize that our unmet hopes, they might find an answer. That those longings for things to be right that we just can't fill with anything else, that maybe there's someone who can fill them. Just maybe, if we put ourselves in the story, there is that hope. Mark invites us to step back into this old story. And as we step into it, we're invited to follow the king. We're invited again to embrace the expectation of God's promised salvation. And because we know the whole story, we're invited to rejoice in how God fulfills every promise in Jesus Christ. And we're invited again to repent and to turn away from evil and to find that again Jesus comes and he washes us clean. We're invited to marvel at how God is faithful to his promises over the centuries and in each of our lives. So tonight, I hope you can find that sense that your unmet expectations, your unfulfilled longings can be met in Jesus. And I hope that you're able to really repent of whatever you need to repent of and make that turn. Make that turn back to the God who loves us enough to come and find us when we were lost. And as we do that, I hope we can remember the certainty of God's promises and that he will fulfill them. And may all of us always, always follow the King.